All right, well, we are back in Ruth again tonight, so go ahead and get your Bibles open. We're going to be in chapter 4. We are almost done with this series. we got two weeks counting tonight left in Ruth, um, and then we're going to be starting a new series in the first Sunday in March uh, in the book of Ephesians. And so I'm working on that right now. I'm excited about that. It's going to look like it's um, shaping up to be a really nice uh, transition, I think, for us as we're moving ahead here. So, But tonight we're going to be back in Ruth, chapter 4, and we're going to be talking about a topic that, again, um, I don't know the Bible addresses a whole lot. It addresses some, and I think we talk about it even less in church, which is a kind of problematic, so we're going to talk about that tonight. Um, <clears throat> but uh, what we're going to be talking about is God in my shrewdness, um, if you even can understand what that is yet. Um, but we're going to unpack it for you. And, and, but one of the things we're going to be talking about as we look at this is as humans, we have this tendency to compartmentalize our lives, right? Like we, we, we have certain things we do here and certain things we do here. And I, I think about like probably if you ever had like uh, grade school age kids and you like take them to the store, right? And you're walking up and down out of the store and all of a sudden their teacher comes walking down, right? They're like totally freaked out. They're like, what are you doing here? Like you're not supposed to go to the, like you're supposed to be at school like 24-7. Why are you here at the store? And they can't understand because they, we, we naturally do that from early ages. We compartmentalize things. When the kids get older, they get into middle school, right? And, and you know, it's okay to still like, kiss and hug and tell mom you love them at home, but don't do that in front of the kids at school. Like, you try to drop off in the morning, you try to pull that stuff, and things are going to go bad, right? So, like, you compartmentalize. As adults, we'll, we'll have a party, and we invite, you know, our friends over, and we have, we have friends from work, and we have friends from church, and we have some family members, and maybe some friends from college, and, and all of a sudden, you have all these groups of friends that they all know you, but they don't know each other, right? And then it kind of gets, like, this awkwardness sometimes. You kind of have to, like, play this middle person to get it. We compartmentalize. You understand what I'm saying? And probably the worst place we do this is church. I remember growing up in church, like, I, I was a pastor's kid. I was in church a lot. And I, I would hear people say things like, you, you, you can't say that at church. I can't believe you would say something like that at church. I'm like, oh, so it's okay to say it outside church? But we can't just say it like, why is it not okay inside this building, but it's okay to say it anywhere else? Like, or we would wear certain clothes to church, right? Or we would act a certain way at church or talk a certain way at church. We, we did activities at church. We, we would go and we would pray and we would sing and we would read God's word, but we wouldn't do that the rest of the week, would we? Like, that's a church thing. That's what we do at church, right? We compartmentalize. And, and, and I think the, the issue, the biggest issue with this is the Bible sees no such sacred, secular divide, that's what we would call that, the sacred, secular divide. There's parts of our life that are sacred that are related to faith and God and church. And there are parts of our life that are secular, business, family, clubs, sports, and that's all separate over here. And they're two separate things, but the Bible doesn't see it that way at all. The Bible sees it all as one. We're supposed to live every moment of our life as it is before the Lord, right? 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. So whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God every single aspect of our life. It's part of walking before him. And so any gifts, any talents, any abilities, any wisdom, any knowledge that he has given us, no matter where we've gained it, whether that be in the home, whether that be in the school, in the workplace, all of those things that we have acquired through the grace of God, we need to be bringing together to serve him and to serve his church, to serve his people, to serve the gospel. And shrewdness is just one of those many things that we need to bring into our faith more. The Bible actually talks about shrewdness. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 10, verse 16. He says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep 
in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That word wise, in some of your translations, uh, probably says shrewd. Be as shrewd as serpents, okay? They're kind of used interchangeably there. And, and it's, what he's saying is, don't check all this at the door. Like, don't, you know, every, all the wisdom and knowledge and experience you've gained over here in other parts of your life, don't leave that there. Bring it into your faith. And so tonight we're going to be talking about, this is the first big idea there in your notes. Shrewdness is a friend to the faithful and no enemy to the Father. Shrewdness is a friend to the faithful and no enemy to the Father. And we'll unpack that as we get deeper in here. And Boaz is going to be our main uh, person we're looking at throughout this section. He kind of takes the front of the stage now in chapter 4. So look at verse 1 with me. It says, Now Boaz has gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Remember he told Ruth last time on the threshing floor, he's like, there's one guy that's like closer than me. He gets first dibs on the redemption, all right? So so he comes by, and so Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. All right, so the first thing I want you to see here is this. Shrewdness makes me efficient for the Father. My shrewdness makes me efficient for the Father. For the father, Boaz here uses the business wisdom that he has gained from being a success. We already established, right? He's a pretty successful business guy. He uses this to, for godly purposes now, right? So he told Ruth, I'm going to take care of this. And the first thing he does when he leaves the threshing floor is he goes straight to the gate of the city. Why does he go to the gate? Because the gate was the central place where they did business in the city. It's where they would have transactions of legal standing and social standing. and every, all, It was kind of like the town square or the courthouse of our day, right? Like they would go and like the gate was where they did, got stuff done, right? So he goes straight from the threshing floor, goes straight to the gate, and he leaves behind, as far as we can tell, his harvest. This thing that he's worked all year for, that he slept at the foot of the night before so nobody would steal it, right? He just leaves it there, and he goes straight to the gate because he told Ruth, I'm going to deal with this. And that took top priority. So he goes to the gate to deal with this, and, and he starts to legally and shrewdly devise a plan about how he can take care of Ruth's problem and hopefully be a part of that solution. And so he goes, and he sits at the gate, and it says, Behold, the Redeemer came by. Just happened to stop by the gate that day, walking through, like the author's doing it to us again, right? He's using the irony to show us that it's actually not coincidence at all. It's God's hand of providence underneath the circumstances, working it out, showing that he's still in control. And so this guy comes by, and as soon as he comes by, Boaz grabs him and says, hey guy, come here, turn aside, sit down here with me, right? I got something I need to talk to you about. And he quickly addresses the other Redeemer and gets him to sit down. But here's what's interesting. Throughout this chapter and throughout the rest of the book, the other Redeemer will never know his name. He's just called the Redeemer. He's the only main character in the book that talks who doesn't have a name. You know why? Because he's not worthy for his name to be in the book. There's a contrast here happening between him and Boaz. We're talking about Boaz has been proven himself to be a worthy man, right? This man... Not so much. Ruth and Naomi have been back in town now for several months. And from what we can tell, he has done nothing to step up and help with his legal and social obligation to these two women. He's allowed other people to take up the slack like Boaz. He's committed a sin. 
And you're like, well, Micah, that's pretty heavy-handed to call that a sin. Like, he just didn't, like, well, there's two types of sin. Do you know this? Do you know this? You need to write this down if you don't know this. There's two types of sin in the Bible. This is important, okay? There's sins of commission, which are the ones we think about most of the time. Sins of commission are when we, is when we do something we're not supposed to do, all right? It's when you murder or you steal or you lie or you commit adultery or all those things that the Bible says, don't do this, and then we go and we do that, all right? Those are sins of commission. That's what we think about most of the time when we think about sin. That's the most obvious. But there's a second type of sin the Bible talks about, which is the sin of omission. Sin of omission is when I don't do something I should do. It's when the Bible says, do this, and I don't do it. Okay? James chapter 4, verse 17 says this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Right? God's word had clearly said there needs to be a kinsman redeemer and whoever's next in line for that should take these responsibilities to care for these people. This man knew that because we're going to tell when him and Boaz start talking, he knows exactly what Boaz is talking about. This isn't new information to him. Yet he's done nothing. Sin of omission. So many times in our life as Christians, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, we get really good at checking the boxes and making sure we don't do the sins of commission. I didn't lie, I didn't steal, I didn't murder anybody, right? Like, we're, we're good with that list. But so often we fail to take account in, of our heart and our lives of what are we not doing that God has told us to do. That's just as bad. We have to be careful of this. So this man, who's not a worthy man, Boaz grabs him and sits him down. Then Boaz grabs and says, 10 men of the elders. All right? These would have been the elders of the city that had basically the governing control over what was going on in the city. And, and he, said, this was, he, he says, come over here. I, I, need, I need you to help me with something. I have, a, I have a legal matter that needs to be settled. And I want to settle it today. And he probably needed a, a quorum of 10 guys to sit down to be able to make a legal ruling that, yes, this is done. Okay, so he gets everybody together that he needs in the room and sits them down because he's going to make sure this gets taken care of today. Right? His shrewdness makes him efficient for the Father. And, you know, this is something that we as the church, as the church universal, but even as a church local, we need to be better about. We need to be better about using what God has given us, the, the wisdom and the skills and the expertise that he has given us through the workplace and through our homes and through our education and using that for the Lord and for his church. One of the biggest things we've got going on uh, the last couple of months, or not biggest things, but one of the things we've been working on as a church is looking for an office space in the area. And once we launch, we want an office space where people can come for meetings and things like that and we have a presence in the community. And so I actually pulled together two of the guys in our church and set up an office uh, an office space research team to go out and start session this. And so I got Don Fick and Rick Presley, both these guys, they've either owned businesses or they've ran businesses, they've dealt with leases. And I pulled these guys together and said, all right, guys, here's what we need to find. And they went out and they started scouting and assessing and evaluating these different spaces. And they got a couple good ones and they had me come and look at them. And they've been using their, their abilities, their wisdom, their shrewdness to help our church in a very practical way, right? It's not, it's not rocket science, but it's something that we can be using what God has given us to really serve his kingdom well. And so the question for you on this one is this. What wisdom has God given you that could benefit his kingdom and our church? When you look at your own life, when you look at your own experience, your own abilities, 
What wisdom has God given you that could benefit his kingdom first, him, in all area of your life, and then also our church as we, ser- as we seek to serve him as well? How can your shrewdness make us more efficient? All right, second thing, look at verse 3. So he's got all the guys sitting down, and it says, And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to, the relative, to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and, after, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz is like, shoot. Okay. <laughs> Verse 5. Then Boaz said, all right, fine, okay. Then the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, oh, never mind. I cannot redeem it. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Second thing, second thing we see here is this. Shrewdness exposes true motives before the Father. Shrewdness exposes true motives before the Father. You see, in godly discernment, in the wisdom, and the shrewdness that Boaz had, he, he cuts right to the heart of the matter with this other guy, right? He like sits him out there, here's the deal, Right? They're here. They need, re, they need to be redeemed. Are you going to do it or not? And he, and he, just, I mean, he just goes right at him, and, and he presses the man for a decision. He actually uses a sales tactic here. That If you've ever been in sales, like you ever, or even if you've been buying something, like maybe you're buying a house, right? And you're thinking about putting an offer on this house, and what's, what's the agent always say? Well, you know, i got two or three other people that are interested. So if you want to make an offer, like you better make an offer now, right? right? It's, that, it's that competition pressure. That's what Buzz is saying. He's like, all right, listen. If you're going to redeem it, redeem it. Because if not, I'm next and I'm ready. Right? So he's putting the pressure on the guy like, hey, let's get this done. Let's. And so the guy's like, all right, fine, I'll redeem it. And he's, he's thinking about this, the, 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 the other redeemer here, he's thinking about this as a business transaction. Right? That's what he's looking at. This is a business transaction for him. He's like, all right, in this day and age, more land equaled more crops. More crops meant more money. Okay? And it meant more inheritance. I have more land to leave to my children. So, all right, I'm going to get more land, more crops, more money, more inheritance. All I have to do is take care of this one little widow, you know, uh, Naomi, right? And that won't be a big deal. She won't cost much. So this is going to be like, this is going to be good for me. It's going to be good for my family. And so he's like, all right, fine, I'll redeem it. And Buzz says, okay, great. Here are the strings. You also, right, you also have to pay for the land. You have to care for two widows, not just one. You have to marry Ruth. And then you have to provide heirs to Elimelech's family, and, oh, by the way, she's a Moabite. Right? So then all of a sudden the guy's like, oh, yeah, about that. Um, yeah, not going to be able to do that now. Okay? Um, but notice he says, I can't redeem it lest I impair my own inheritance. What's that mean? The man retracts his offer because he now realizes that by, this is going to be a bad business move. He's actually probably going to lose money and lose inheritance in this deal, not gain it. Okay, because if he does make this investment in his property, he buys it and starts turning a profit on it. He might get a profit for a little while, but once he marries Ruth and has an heir to Elimelech, once that heir grows up, who gets the land? The heir does. Okay, 
Not to mention, not only is he an heir of Elimelech, he's also an heir of this guy, so he's probably going to get some of his original land as well as an inheritance, which is going to take away from his other kids or whoever else he's trying to, whoever else he's trying to give land, his land off to when he dies. He's like, all right, no, no, I can't do this, right? And some would look at that and say, well, he's just being a good father, a good husband, a good family. Like, he's just taking care of his current family and not in, you know, maybe. Or maybe he's just being selfish. Maybe he, he sees this purely as a business deal. He doesn't see this as an opportunity to be an agent of grace for the Lord. He's only looking through a certain set of lenses. You see, the kinsman redeemer whole clause, the whole reason it was set up was never to benefit the redeemer, right? It's never to, it was always to benefit the redeemed. This guy's looking at it as a benefit for himself when God's saying, no, I'm giving you an opportunity to be my hands and my feet and to bring new life and grace and love to a family that is destitute and about to die off. He has the wrong perspective. He does not display the hesed of the Lord that we've seen throughout the book from Boaz and from Ruth and from others. Because he's not a worthy man. Which men, this brings up an important point for us. In this book, we see three types of men. Okay, and I'm going to lay these out for you. I want you to assess what type are you and what type do you want to be. The first type is Elimelech. Remember him at the very, he was only with us for like a couple verses before it went really bad for him, okay? But he was, he was a strong leader. He was a man of action, but he was foolish. Famine came and he said, all right, we're out of here. And he packed up his family. He moves to a foreign land away from God, away from God's people. And ultimately he ends up dying anyways. He was a strong man. He made the decision. He was a leader but he wasn't leading with the Lord. He was leading in his own foolishness. Or man number two is the first redeemer here that we just saw. He's not a leader at all. He's lazy, he's selfish, he's foolish, he's unreliable, not helpful in any way. And there's a third guy that we've been talking about a lot, Boaz, right? Also a strong leader, also a man of action, but he acts from godly wisdom. All throughout the book, he's, he's following the Lord. He's following the word of the Lord. He's showing the love and the grace of the Lord to others. Men, you need to be like Boaz. You need to be like Boaz because Boaz is like Christ. Remember, the, remember in the New Testament where Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus? You need to be like Boaz because Boaz is like Christ. And the thing that we see here is that he's using his wisdom, he's using his shrewdness to expose the true motives of the heart, to get to the real issue, to not let it just be surface. There's another great example of this in the Bible. Do you remember um, Solomon. King Solomon, right? David's son, uh, wisest man to ever live. You know, God comes to him and says, what can I give you? And he asks for wisdom. He's like, all right, I'll give you everything then because that was the prime answer right there. And so he makes Solomon full of wisdom. And then there's this one story in 1 Kings chapter 3 where it really showcases his wisdom in, in a really profound way. There's these two women that are living together. They're actually both prostitutes. 
and they're living together in this house, and they both end up getting pregnant. And they both have babies about the same time within a couple days of each other. And in the middle of the night, one of the babies dies. And the mother whose baby died gets up in the night and she switches the babies. And then the next morning, the other mother wakes up and she finds this, this dead child next to her. And she's like, she, this, isn't, this isn't my baby. That's my baby. She's like, no, this is my baby. Right? And they start getting into this fight. And then so finally they, they go before King Solomon. They're like, this is my baby. No, this is my baby. And they're fighting over it. And he's like, all right, enough. Nobody else was there. There's no witnesses. He's like, just bring me a sword. And they're like, they're like huh? <laughs> he's like, yeah, just bring me a sword. So the servants bring in a sword. He's like, I'm going to cut the baby in half. And we give half to you and half to you, and then we'll be done with it. And immediately, one of the women starts saying, no, 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 don't, don't kill the baby, don't, 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 she can have it. She can have the baby, don't, don't kill the baby. And the other one's like, fine, cut it up, I don't care. And immediately, Solomon knew, right? He knew the true mother would never allow their child to be killed like that. He said, no, take the baby and give her to her. He used his wisdom, he used his shrewdness to cut through to the true motives of the heart, just like Boaz is doing with this, sec- with this first redeemer here. And he's really showing what it's all about. And sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need that from others. And so the question I have for you on this one is this. How can you use your God-given discernment to help others clearly see their heart motivations? This is a tricky thing. This is a tricky thing. Because we want to do it in truth and in grace. Right? Truth and grace. Truth and love. But God hasn't given us wisdom and shrewdness and discernment to waste it. So when something comes up, when there's an issue, when there's a problem, how can you use your wisdom, your shrewdness, your discernment to help others get to the heart of what's really motivating them, what's really driving them, or what's really driving you? So this makes me more efficient. It exposes true motives. And then look at verse 7. It says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are my witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. The third thing about shrewdness is this. Shrewdness makes me effective for the Father. Shrewdness also makes me effective for the Father. Boaz here is a man of follow-through. Are you catching on to that? Like when he says something's going to get done, it gets done, right? And he, he goes after it, and he makes, he makes good on his promise here to Ruth that he's going to get this situation taken care of. And so immediately, he's like, all right, let's do this right now, okay? And it says that it was custom that day to draw off the sandal, literally take the sandal off their foot and hand it to the person that you were doing the deal with. It, 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 was, like a, it was like a sign, a symbol, a seal that the business deal was done, Right? For us, we're, we're filling out some paperwork right now for our church for something with the, with the county, and it has to be notarized. Right? And Jenny's going to notarize it for us. And that's like a sign, it's a seal. This was a legal business deal, it's done. Right? 
That's what the sandal was, right? So if anybody ever came back and said, no, 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 that's not how it happened, or that, you know, he didn't sell it to you, he's like, oh, yeah? Ha-ha, right? Like, I got his sandal right here, like, okay? So that's, that was, he's saying, right now, this deal is done. We're not going to do this next week. We're not going to do this tomorrow. We're going to do it right now. And he gets to the bottom of it. And so as soon as he gets the, the sandal in his hand, he announces to the elders and to all the people. At this point, there's like a big crowd that's gathered around this whole thing, and they're watching, right? And so he announces to all these people. He, he actually bursts out in like, almost like a joyful like, song about it. Like, let me tell you what's just happened here, right? I have bought, and he goes through all these things that he is assuming responsibility for, that he's taking under his wing, as the scripture said earlier. He assumes financial responsibility for Elimelech's property and his family. He declares Ruth to be his betrothed, and he commits to carry on the family line of Elimelech. I love this scene because Boaz here fulfills a need, a drive in us men that God has put there very purposefully, and that's to be a redeemer. There's something that God puts in every man. And it, sometimes our life experiences and, our, and the way things, it, it kind of gets suppressed or it can, get, it can get bent or it can get messed up. But ultimately, deep in us, as we are formed to Christ, God has put in us this desire to be redeemers, to be heroes, to be those who care for others, those who come around and protect and shield and provide. And, and Boaz here is doing that. He's doing it really well. And so when I say earlier, man, be like Boaz, this is what I'm talking about. Be a man who is looking to help and protect and redeem and to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Obviously, your wife, your children first, but even beyond that, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your church. A lot of times... These things can look very simple. Boaz here, he's just made a business deal, right? Like he hasn't like charged down the white horse and slain a dragon or anything, right? Like, but he's used what he has to get it done. I remember when we first got into full-time vocational ministry. So Courtney and I were both, we lived here in St. Louis. We were both working full-time jobs, had good incomes. And we went to full-time ministry. It was basically like a lateral for me, but we decided that she, at that point we were going to start having kids. So she, was, she quit her job and was going to stay home. So we basically cut our income in more than half. She was actually making more than I was at that point in time. So we cut our income by more than half, and then we start adding kids. Okay? You can do the math on that one. It doesn't work real well. And so finances started getting pretty tight pretty quick. Okay? And so we had to start finding ways to make it work. And Courtney... Um, while I was off working and, and, and trying to bring in money that way, she was using the talents that she had to help supplement. And so she started teaching private voice lessons and private piano lessons and started to bring in some extra money that way. But then she also tried to cut our costs. She started doing meal planning so that we wouldn't, have to be, we wouldn't be buying extra groceries we didn't need. We wouldn't be, wouldn't be going out to eat all the time when we shouldn't be. She started making ho- homemade cleaners and detergents instead of buying that stuff. She started making homemade presents for birthdays and Christmases and and she would like sew stuff and fix stuff and so we wouldn't have to buy new stuff where I'm just like, throw it out, we'll just get something new. She's like, no, I can fix this. And, and she was using the, just the basic homemade, homemaker skills of cleaning and fixing and sewing and cooking and, to make ministry possible, to make a way for us to be able to serve the Lord in full-time ministry the way he had called us to do. I Many people would look at those skills, but those aren't like big kingdom-building God glorify, no, 
they are when they're used correctly. When we use them in a way that glorifies the Lord and presses forward his purpose, his mission for our lives, it glorifies the Lord. Boaz here is using just his basic business skills to glorify the Lord. And many of you can do the same thing. And whatever skills he's given you, whatever he's, whatever he's put in your hands to use, use it for the Lord. So the question is this, what God-given abilities can you use to better fulfill your commitments to the Lord? What God-given abilities, what has he given you that you can use to better fulfill your commitment to him? The mission he's given you, the purpose he's given you to help people in your life, to help the church, to help the gospel go forth. What's that look like for you personally? Every one of us, it looks a little bit different. Okay, and the last thing, look at verses 11 and 12 here. It says, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The last thing is this, shrewdness is edifying to the father and his children. Shrewdness is edifying to the father and his children. When we use what God has given us, it glorifies the Lord. Boaz here uses his shrewdness to glorify the Lord, and it blesses all the people, and they respond in this blessing to the Lord and over him and over Ruth. And all the people said, we are witnesses. Yes, we are here. We see this. We believe in this. And then they start to to bless him and exhort him. It says, may the Lord make the woman like Rachel and Leah. That is a huge statement. They're talking about Ruth, the Moabite, right? The outcast, the non-Jew, the people who hated the Jews, their worst enemies. May they be like Rachel and Leah, the mothers who started the whole nation of Israel. Do you get that? It was these two women that started the whole line that became the 12 tribes of Israel and so on. Like this is, this is huge. And they pray for motherhood. They pray for blessings of motherhood on this woman who's been barren for years and years. And then they talk to to Boaz. They say, may your name be renowned in Bethlehem. May your name be praised and lifted up. May May your house be like that of Perez. So Perez was one of Judah's sons. And it was his line that all the people in Bethlehem came from. So Perez was the father of the line of Ephrathah, who all lived in Bethlehem. So they're, basically, they're saying, like, may your family be the family who carries on the chosen line of Judah. It's big, right? They're responding to the the hesed that they see flowing from Boaz, the example that he's giving, the fact that he does look a whole lot like Christ right here. You see, look at the comparisons. Boaz was a near kinsman redeemer to Ruth. Christ, in becoming human, came near to us. Right? Philippians said that he left his throne and he came and lived among us. Boaz was able to redeem Christ is able to redeem us because of his sinless life, because he never fell to the temptations of this world. 
Boaz was willing to redeem, and Christ has chosen to redeem us. He didn't have to. Do you understand that? There, there was nothing forcing God or Christ or anyone else to step up and save us. He chose that, just as Boaz chose to redeem Ruth. Boaz paid the price to redeem, just as Christ paid the price to redeem us with his blood on the cross. Boaz did all the work to redeem Ruth. Ruth didn't do anything. Just as Christ has done all the work to secure our salvation, he said, it is finished. There is nothing you can do. There's nothing you, you, you will ever do to add to what I've already given you. It's done. Boaz loved his bride just as Christ loves his bride, the church. And Boaz redeemed Ruth and the land just as Christ redeemed his people and all of creation. Christ is our glorious Boaz. This is why it's so important that we put people in the scriptures in the right light. I'm not telling you to be like Boaz because he's a moral guy. Do you understand that? This book is not a book to teach you to be a more moral person. It's a book to teach you to be like Christ. And Boaz was. We call this a type of, of Christ in the Old Testament. There are several people throughout the Old Testament that they're, they're, they're a display of what was to come, a picture, a shadow, if you will, of what would one day be fulfilled in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so the question here is this, how can I glorify God and be more like Christ in my normal, everyday life? This is, this is really just kind of status quo for Boaz. Like, He's, this, he's just living his life, doing his thing, running his business, and he has a chance to get married and take care of a family, and he's going to do it, right? It, it, sometimes we think that being like Christ and following Christ and, and being used by God has to be some big, giant, miraculous, saintly thing that we do. And sometimes he does call us to big stuff. He does. But most of the time, he wants us to just be faithful to follow and glorify him in our basic everyday life. To be like Christ. Because shrewdness is a friend to the faithful and no enemy to the Father. If you will be faithful to follow Christ, your shrewdness will always be helpful in glorifying the Father. You see, I, I believe that in a lot of ways, shrewdness has been lost in the church today. We think well, that's the stuff I do at work. That's the stuff I do on the, on the ball field. That's the stuff I do over there. Uh, that doesn't apply to church. That, that has no place here at the church. No, it does. Don't check your wisdom, your abilities, your strengths, your shrewdness. Don't check that at the door of your faith. Bring that into every aspect of your life, just like your faith is or should be, and let God use that. Live all of your life as if it's sacred before the Lord. And let it all be blended together in a nice, big, messy smoothie of your life. <laughs> and let God use all of it. Okay? Let me pray over you, and i got something new I want to share with you tonight as well. Heavenly Father, we're going to come to you right now. I'm just, I thank you, Lord, for just the, the wisdom of your word. Um, Lord, I thank you that, Lord, a book parts of a book that were written thousands and thousands of years ago 
still have such great application and relevance for our lives. Or that in your sovereignty, in your perfection, in your wisdom, Lord, you provided a resource for us to show us who you are and how we can follow and be like you. So Father, I pray that right now you would press on our hearts, each individually, Lord, any area of our life that we have compartmentalized, that we have cast to the side, Lord, that we have separated from our faith. Lord, an area that we are not submitting to you, to your purpose, to your mission, to your glory. Father, I pray that you would help us to use all the skills, the abilities, everything you've put in our possession, Lord, the shrewdness that you've given us, Lord, help us to bring that in to every area of life, every area of ministry, so we may use it for you, for your glory, and for your kingdom. Lord, help us to ask these questions and do honest self-evaluation. And may your spirit illuminate in us, Lord, our true heart motives and our needs and our desires, our abilities to follow you. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for all those who are here tonight. I pray for those who couldn't be with us. Lord, that you would speak to them as well. Lord, draw them in. Lord, continue to, to meet with us. Lord, we are so thankful every, every week to get to meet in your presence and to experience your presence with us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.